Blog Talk Radio. and this week's live broadcast of The Way of Healing. My name is Susan Brozak, and I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Tonight we're going to be looking at encouragement for seasons of trial. And I thought this was timely because so many are going through a season of unprecedented trials right now in their lives whether rooted in a pandemic or its consequences or perhaps for other reasons that are entirely personal and individual. So tonight we're going to be looking at encouragement for getting through suffering and difficult times in our lives. We'll also explore why we go through them, some biblical ways to cope with and address trials, and also how to hold on to inner peace and joy and hope in the midst of challenging seasons, and that's really key because if we don't have that hope and peace, it's going to be very difficult for us to hold on um, and see that season of trials through to the end without losing heart. So most of us think of the book of Job when we think of biblical examples of trial and suffering. Tonight we'll be taking a look at Job and also looking at the grace and the hope encouragement and perspective that scripture offers for those who are currently going through trials. I'll also be sharing with you how to learn to make sense of suffering as best as we can this side of eternity and how to respond to it in practical and hope-filled ways. Let's start by having you think about some questions in your own life. If you're at a place where you're going through some present suffering or a season of trial of some kind. Some things you can ask yourself to assess whether where, where you're at are, what is your current struggle and what is the history of it? What are its implications for your future? How accurate do you think your perception is of your trial? And we'll get into that a bit further later on. How do you view your suffering? Do you view it as meaningless or do you view it maybe as God's way of punishing you or as a way of testing and refining you? And what is your own as well as your family's history of suffering and how they coped with it? Also, what kind of support system do you currently have? It's important to remember to also ask yourself, what is the real issue here? When you're suffering, it's easy to focus on the symptoms rather than at the core issue. Treating the symptoms, and I say this to patients in my practice all the time, 
will only bring temporary relief at best. So be sure that you're also looking at the root issues in your life that are producing the symptoms that you're experiencing. There are some pat answers, kind of cliches, that are sometimes said to people going through trials, and not only, in my opinion, are they usually unhelpful, but in some cases they can even end up causing more harm than good. You may have heard of some of these. Granted, they're usually said by well-meaning people who are just trying to help, but oftentimes don't realize that statements like these are not beneficial. So here are some examples. Well, you haven't prayed enough. Or, if you had enough faith, things would change. Or, there might be something wrong with you, and what you're going through right now is a form of judgment from God. And another one, if you confess your sins, then things would change. So, as I said, in my personal opinion, these things do nothing but add shame to a person who's already hurting. And it's unfortunate that people view suffering as somehow a result of personal inadequacy as a Christian, Jesus Christ himself suffered, and he was the epitome of a Christian. (laughs) We can't even really say it that way because he was the Christ, and we are disciples of him. We are Christians, disciples of Christ, but he certainly had no inadequacy or, or inferiority in him whatsoever, yet he suffered. So for us to judge other people, based on that standard, um, can be very hypocritical, um, and it's not something that we want to make a practice of. Um, And this isn't to uh, to say that you don't need to stand firm in your faith and trust God, but there are also other things that can be affecting your walk and can cause trials and suffering that may not necessarily be a direct result of personal or besetting sins in your life. So let's take a look now at the life of Job, whom you're probably familiar with from Scripture. And believe it or not, we're going to get a lot of encouragement out of uh, some passages from Job tonight uh, to encourage you through the season of trials that you might be experiencing. Job went through tremendous suffering in his life. Job 1.13 through 22 says the following. Now it happened on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking, wine in their oldest brother's house that a messenger came to job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the sabians attacked and took them they also slew the servants with the edge of a sword and i alone have escaped to tell you while he was still speaking another also came and said the fire of god fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came in and said that your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
Then Job rose and tore his robe, and he shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. I can't imagine that any of us would have a response of worship uh, if we went through a situation with literally everything being taken and stripped from us and um, our loved ones dying and our provisions and our our livelihood being taken away. Um, And yet that was Job's response. Talk about perspective in the midst of a trial. Naked have I come from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. He's acknowledging the fact that he came into the world with nothing and he'll also leave the world with nothing. There's an old adage that says you will never see a U-Haul behind a hearse and it's very true we take nothing with us when we go to be with the Lord and this goes to that issue of perspective again Um, how he managed to have that perspective right in the moment is very unusual and it's certainly um, of utmost admirability um, that he was able to do that And it says in particular that he did not sin, so he did not have a sin of response after hearing all this news, which is all horrible. He didn't have a sin of response, nor did he blame God. I just can't imagine the the temptation there to have blamed God for this, as so many of us might have done, Um, and yet he did not. Um, So, again, he's, he's an exemplary um, person of of um, value in scripture that we need to to really study. A lot of people are afraid to read the book of Job for various reasons. Um, I think some of its contents can be um, startling and um, as I just read, extremely difficult to process and yet it's also the book that gives us the manual. It's, it's basically an instruction manual for how to deal with seasons of trial and to come out on the other end. And if you read the book all the way through of Job, you see what God does for him in the end, um, which is just heaping blessings upon him. So um, as I mentioned, um, would we be able to remain sin or blame-free? It's certainly some food for thought that we need to ponder when we go through a trial. Do we tend to blame God for that trial? Some people blame God. Some people blame Satan. Some people blame the flesh. Some people blame the world. It's, there's always someone to blame, it seems. But instead of using energy on that route, sometimes a better way to look at it is, Lord, what would you like me to learn from this? What are you trying to tell me through this? Um, Clearly, Job's faith was strong, and it was tested severely in this example. And Job's story has been an inspiration and an encouragement to countless people going through trials and suffering throughout the centuries, um, thousands of years, really, um, that this book has encouraged so many 
to keep persevering through trial. Uh, Reverend Chuck Swindoll gives some interesting insight into the book of Job. He says in the book, God pulls aside the curtain that veils the spiritual realities, giving us a behind-the-scenes glimpse of those realms. Job's story unfolds with Satan suggesting to God that he is only loved and worshipped for the blessings that God bestows. So we can see that Satan tries to persuade us that people offer obedience to God only because they think he will bless them. So Satan is saying to God that Job is only serving God because of the blessings that um, he can get from God and is getting from God. Um, And so, therefore, the enemy asks God for permission to um, cause calamity in Job's life. So God may bless people because they give him worship and obedience, certainly. But God gives blessings to us because of who he is, not because of who we are or anything that we've done. So, again, he blesses because of who he is, and who he is is love. God allows Satan a chance to test the waters with Job. So he gives the enemy permission to strip his servant, Job, of his considerable earthly blessings and to watch and see what happens. And most of us know the rest of the story, um, as I just shared part of it with you. It's sometimes very painful to read as Job loses uh, both his loved ones and his possessions, and there just seems to be tragedy after tragedy, as I kept repeating, um, and I have escaped to tell you. I have escaped to tell you all of these things were being told to him one on top of the other, while just one in and of itself would be extremely traumatizing. And though at times um, in his faith, uh, at times his faith wavers a bit, uh, pardon me, uh, Job ultimately relies on God's love for him and acknowledges God's supremacy and sovereignty. So God's love for Job never falters. And Satan is proven wrong. In the end, God restores to Job double what he lost. And that's where I, some people use the colloquialism, double for your trouble. Um, actually, a lot of um, phrases that we use come from scripture and we don't know it. Um, you've heard the phrase, the handwriting of the, on the wall um, comes from the Old Testament. And um, there are a lot of phrases that come from scripture and we don't realize they're from scripture. Um, but let's continue our discussion about trials and suffering and looking at the life of Job as illustrated um, in the Bible from an earthbound view. It might simply look as though Job fell into a batch of bad luck, but behind the scenes, a glimpse of the interaction between God and our enemy shows that God is intricately involved in history, including our own personal history. This means that everyone has their own story. So our story mirrors Job's in the context that a fallen world challenges challenges us every day, just as it had challenged him to find a way to make sense of our own story and circumstances in light of the total story that God is telling. And since everyone has unique circumstances, life is never random or meaningless. 
God is thoroughly involved in our lives and taking us somewhere purposefully. And this is true regardless of how hard it is to make sense of our suffering. Job's story shows us that life is a tale of redemption for those who don't resist it. It's offered by a God who sympathizes with our suffering and who ultimately suffered for us in order to restore us to the treasure of his presence which is greater than any earthly treasures, no matter how precious. So again, God is a God of relationship. He is always after our heart. He's a relational God. He wants to draw us into deeper relationship with him. And that's always the goal. Even in my practice, people come to me for healing of emotional wounds and so forth. Um, And, Um, I tell them that, yes, God wants to heal you, and yes, he can, and yes, he will. But even beyond that, he wants to draw you into a deeper relationship with him. So that's the highest priority for anything that we're going through or suffering or experiencing emotionally is to draw into that closer relationship with the Lord. Um, So we need to remember a couple of points when we're going through a struggle or a storm or a trial in this life. First of all, we need to know that God cares immensely about our suffering. And a lot of people, I think, when they're going through something, just think, well, where is God? What happened to him? Why, why isn't he here? He's not with me. He doesn't care. He's not um, interested or concerned about me. And the furthest thing is from the truth. We base that on our perceptions. So if we're not sensing God, we jump to the erroneous conclusion that he must not be close. And that's not truth. That's just what we perceive. We have to realize that he never moves. If there's distance between us and God, it's because we have been the ones to move, so to speak. Or we've let ourselves stray away from him a bit. But he's always there, and he'll never leave or forsake us. Um, so he is our solid rock. In addition, he also cares about our trust in him being built up. We need to remember that God is involved in our stories in every way. He and his angels wage war against Satan for the sake of our character. And this gets a little deep, um, but remembering that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and uh, that Jacob had wrestled with an angel um, in the heavenly realms. And so there are interactions and a lot that goes on behind the scenes in the supernatural and the spiritual realms um, that has to do with what is going on in this earth, even in the current time. And what we're seeing currently in our nation and our world isn't just what we see in front of us. There, believe me, is a lot going on if we could pull back that curtain and uh, see what's actually happening in the spiritual realms as we go through these situations um, in this world that we probably never thought we would ever face. So um, in times of suffering, Satan tries to increase our anxiety, filling us with hopelessness and dread. And this is uh, one of the um, after effects that I've noticed Um, in terms of my practice with patients is their anxiety levels have just skyrocketed over the pandemic, over job losses, over um, the rioting, the looting, the uh, lack of safety. 
the month of November being just a couple of weeks away now and what the election will mean. Um, and so anxiety is high. Depression is also high. Substance abuse is high. There's been so many um, results of this pandemic and of COVID-19 that have really um, caused a lot of believers to uh, question um, the goodness of God in some cases and certainly question whether or not they can handle it. And I, I always want to say you don't have to handle it. God handles it for you, but you have to release it so he can take it from you. And he carries our burdens for us if we invite him to. Um, so Satan will try to increase anxiety, like I said, tries to fill us with hopelessness that things will never get better, tries to fill us with dread. And dread is an emotion that um, is, is really a particularly insidious emotion because when you dread something, you actually experience it twice. Um, the, while you're thinking about the event that you're dreading, you're kind of going through it emotionally at that point whatever that event might be that's still off in the future. And then when the actual event arrives, you have to go through it again. So it's like a double whammy, a double punishment. So I always encourage people to try to avoid dreading. God gives grace in the moment that we need it. He doesn't, you know, pack it up for us six days beforehand. And, you know, manna is, is for the day. His mercies are new every morning, and he will give you the grace to get through that event that you might be dreading. So it does you no good other than to waste emotional energy if you're dreading it because the Lord will give you grace for it. Um, but the deepest truth and the solid ground that's, that's under us is that God is at work and his love is ever present. As Paul said to the Romans in Romans 8:28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So remember this when you go through a storm. And this is a, a, a phrase that sort of developed from a class that my husband and I taught um, a few years ago. And it's this. Sometimes God calms the storm, but sometimes God allows the storm to rage and calms his child. So if there's a storm raging around you, that doesn't mean that God has left you on your own. He will be the one to calm you through that. He'll either calm you or he'll calm the storm. In the New Testament, Peter has a lot to say about the topic of trials and suffering. He mentions the idea of suffering 15 times in this first letter alone. So there's no doubt that he was well acquainted with this topic, yet he discusses it not with And surely as Jesus, Peter says, we can find an example of how to respond to suffering. In 1 Peter 2.23, he says, while being reviled, Jesus did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept on trusting himself to him who judges righteously, meaning God. Jesus shows us in scripture how to trust God through trials. The word entrust, as I just re read in First Peter, carries this idea of placing oneself alongside another. Jesus continually brought himself to his father's side in trust. 
He knew his father would not fail him, even though he was going through agony. So Jesus was not reactive. His suffering did not dictate his responses. His faith did. And I think that's a really important thing for us to remember. Things can happen to us, and we can become reactive. We react. Um, We can respond. Um, And sometimes our responses are not um, necessarily the best responses because we all have to deal with the flesh. Um, But as we are trained up in uh, the way we should go and uh, as we work on our salvation with fear and trembling, we grow in the Lord. And so what is modeled for us through Jesus is he responded from his faith, from a platform of faith. Um, so he didn't get reactive. He didn't sin in his response. He didn't, um, you know, become, uh, be held by a, a sinful anger in response. He responded through faith. And Jesus depended upon God. He consistently trusted his father, not just for the moment, but for the long haul. Jesus knew who he was trusting. He had confidence in the one who judges righteously that he would never allow suffering for foolish reasons and therefore all would eventually be well. And that goes back to all things work together for the good of those who love him. So I just want to give you some other helpful verses that you might want to jot down and look up later for further study um, on this topic. And these include Psalm 13, Psalm 22, Psalm 38, Psalm 73, Psalm 86, and Psalm 143. Also Hebrews 12, 1 through 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Romans 5, 3 through 5, and James 1, 2 through 12. Those are just some great, um, really solid scriptures to not only read through when you're in the midst of a trial, but even committing to memory portions of those or all of those um, are so helpful because when we're going through something, what we've deposited into our spirit man, the Holy Spirit can then pull that up and we'll be reminded of a verse right at the exact um, moment that we need it. We know that God has an unchanging or immutable, as the theological term would say, character. Scripture tells us that God is a loving God. So since God is loving and his trait of being unchanging will always be the case, we can know that no matter what trial or suffering he allows in our lives, he's always doing so out of the abundance of his love for us and always has our best interests in mind. And again, if we try to look at this from a fleshly standpoint only, it won't make a lot of sense that suffering would somehow be permitted out of God's love for us. The two don't seem to be contemporaneous. The, the, the two don't seem to coincide, but in fact they do. And we have to remember that God's thoughts and ways are higher than our thoughts and ways. So we're not always going to understand the reason that he allows the things that he does. Um, in the book, For Those Who Hurt is the title, Second Corinthians is examined and also three ways that God uses suffering for our good are outlined. First of all, God uses it to prepare us to comfort others. 
And we see that in scripture. Because of this, we can confidently say that our troubling circumstances are never in vain. Secondly, God uses suffering to keep us from trusting in ourselves. Um, When he finally hit bottom, Paul learned that he was in the palm of God's hand. He could sink no lower than the everlasting arms. And that's stated in 2 Corinthians 1, 9. And um, I believe it was Corey Tenboom that said there is no pit so deep than... um, then God's love um, can't pull you out from underneath it. Um, And it's something to that effect. And thirdly, uh, God uses it to teach us to give thanksgiving in all circumstances. So Paul offered praise in his moment of sorrow. And that's another piece that um, we learned earlier on when We were looking at Job's response to all of the sorrow and tragedy, his response was to worship. Paul offered praise in his moment of sorrow. So it's it's amazing when we look at these mighty men uh, from Scripture and how they were able to respond and the level of spiritual maturity they must have had. And in order to gain that, they must have gone through so much because a new believer in the Lord doesn't, by default worship and praise God when calamity hits that's that comes from somebody who's been seasoned and has gone through a lot in their life Um, so I want to give you now some additional reasons why Christians might go through suffering and trials and and by no means are these um, absolutions or entirely definitive they're just some suggestions um, for possibilities and of course Not all of them will apply in every situation, um, but they are some potential reasons. Uh, One is to glorify God. Two is to at times prevent us from falling into sin. Three, to keep us from pride. Four, to build our faith. Five, to cause growth and maturity. Six, to teach us obedience. Seven, for testimony purposes. Eight, so we can be partakers of God's holiness. Nine, so that the fruit of righteousness is developed in us. Ten, so we can be conformed to Christ's image. And eleven, for the sake of Jesus' name. And twelve, so that we partake in the baptism uh, or cup of Christ's sufferings. Um, And finally, so that we depend upon God's strength and not upon our own. If anything will show you the level of your strength or lack thereof, it's when you're in a fiery trial. And if anything will show you how to lean and depend upon and trust in God, it's going through a season of trials and suffering. Um, That is something that can drive you to your knees very quickly. Um, when you realize that you're in a situation that um, has come upon you for whatever reason and you're suffering and you have you don't see a way out and have no control over, um, that is when a lot of people actually find the Lord for the first time and cry out to him. Um, it's not uh, very frequent that people, you know, find God when they're on the mountaintop. They usually 
find him when they're in the valley. So it's often easy to lose perspective. As I mentioned before, when we're in the midst of a struggle or a trial, we might have trouble seeing uh, past our pain to the bigger picture of our lives. Our lives can be compared to stories in that sentence leads to sentence, chapter leads to chapter, and so forth until the conclusion. But when we're hurting, we have a lot of trouble seeing the big picture. It's as if the, uh, the lens is clouded. It's, it's very difficult to zoom out and get proper perspective on what you're going through while you're in it. That's the really difficult part. Hindsight is 2020. In retrospect, you can look back and say, okay, I see now why God did what he did at what time he did it and so forth. But when you're in the midst of it, it is very, very difficult um, to see it for what it is. And so um, that's why I talk about perspective being so key uh, when we're, we're looking at how to cope with um, trials. Um, life's meaning can be seen through scripture that affirms our identity in Christ. I'm very strong on identity in Christ and I'm always trying to help people see who they are in the Lord. Um, we are beloved children of the most high God. Um, and also life's meaning can be seen, uh, via looking at our destination, uh, which is heaven as the sanctification of our souls. Um, which is becoming more and more like Christ as, as we go through life. So as more encouragement for you, there are elements of, uh, that give life meaning during trials. One is, as I said, our identity in Christ, and second is our destination. So in other words, I am someone going somewhere um, is the idea. I am a child of God on my way home to my father, Remember, this earth is not our home. We are in the world, but not of it. Uh, we are passing through this life. We're transient, so to speak. Um, our real home is heaven. In fact, the word says that even right now, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, which is kind of a hard concept to get your mind wrapped around. <laughs> but um, it, spiritually, we are seated with Christ already. So home uh, for us is heaven. It's not this world. It's not this earth. We need to uh, seek out scripture passages that affirm both who we are in Christ and our ultimate homeward journey. So identity and destination, think of them as like parallel tracks on which our story can run. Um, when we keep those two principles in mind, it does help give meaning to everything that we go through here um, on this earth. So as we strengthen our grasp on this concept, we'll be more and more able to deal with our sufferings in a way that makes some sense. And this is really what Joseph did in Genesis 50. Um, his sufferings made sense to him because he knew he was God's child on his way to God's appointed end for his life. If you look up in Genesis 50, you can read about Joseph's story. That being said, however, we might not always be able to figure it all out, so to speak, and that's very difficult for a lot of us, myself included. Um, I am one that wants to figure things out. I want to know what's coming. I want to be able to expect uh, what will happen. I want to peek around the corner. God does not let me do that. Um, and 
as a result, my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And I take a lot of comfort from that verse. I believe that verse is uh, very helpful for those of us that want to try to understand and figure everything out on our own, um, which is never a wise proposition um, and usually leads to a lot of frustration. Um, so we many times will go through trials and struggles, and even in retrospect, we might not understand why, although there is, we typically have some idea, but we might, we might never this side of eternity. So I'll direct my patients at my practice that even though it's okay to ask the why questions, many times it's more valuable to ask God the how questions. So in other words, how do you want me to go through this, Lord? How can I grow through this? How can I learn what you want me to learn? Instead of just saying, why, God, why? Why me? Why am I going through this? Why did you allow this to happen to me? Can we ask that of God? Of course we can. We certainly can say anything to him. He knows what's in our hearts anyway. Um, but where we really start to grow is when we ask those how questions. How can I learn what you want me to learn through this, Lord? So as I just quoted to you, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 um, is a really powerful scripture that we're familiar with, most of us are. And it reminds us that we're not to try to lean on our own understanding. I mentioned earlier in this broadcast that our thoughts are, um, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So if we try to lean on our understanding, that's going to deviate us from his path. Um, it's not our job to try to get everything figured out and to be able to put it all in a nice, neat box. Um, there's times when it just won't make sense, and instead we just need to put our trust 100% in our trustworthy God. Also, God uses our hurt to help and minister to others who are hurting, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, um, but we can comfort those with the same comfort that we ourselves have received. So you may be in pain, but the pain is never without meaning. It will help you help someone else and do so much more. Um, you will, pain is a very, it's a difficult, but it's a good teacher. Grief, chronic pain, deep depression, all of them are challenging. And sometimes we want to wonder why should we go on? Yet the Bible holds out the eternal hope that nothing is ever wasted in God's kingdom. Nothing's ever wasted, not one tear. The word talks about how the Lord bottles up our tears. So every tear, every hurt or pain adds up to something good that for now we may be incapable of even imagining. Jesus was able to endure because of that which he was connected. He had had Jesus hung on a cross for no purpose, he would have felt as much futility as the next person. But before the cross, he had connected himself with the purpose of his Father, our God, as stated in Hebrews 12:2. And again, as I said before, Romans 8:28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. So nothing escapes God's notice. Nothing is allowed to remain in your life even one second longer than God ordains. 
and it is always used for God's best for you. So to further encourage you, remember this. If it crosses God's desk, so to speak, and reaches you, it has come to you with a great purpose. Always remember that God wastes nothing. So if it had to, if it reaches you, that means it had to pass through him first, and that means it has a tremendous purpose, if you will allow it to be that. All things, no matter how painful and difficult, can be used in serving the purposes of God. As the word says, all things work together for good. Notice how complete God's promise is here. No pain goes to waste. All pain becomes connected to a redemptive end. So then what good is all of it? What is this redemptive end of suffering? Romans 8.29 tells us to be conformed to the likeness of God's Son. Whatever else suffering may accomplish, God will use it to make us Christ-like. And therefore, we can learn to view our pain as serving to sculpt us into the image of Christ. If there's no other goal in mind, it'll help us turn to Christ more, depend on him more, like I said, and become more like him. And these aren't trite cliches or platitudes that I'm trying to pass off to you here. These are powerful truths. They're not easy ones, um, but if we can learn to grasp a hold of these and incorporate them and internalize them in our lives, we will be transformed um, through the power of the Holy Spirit during the trial. Um, In conclusion, as I wrap up here, it's also important to note that suffering is made even more difficult when there's a faulty perspective of the primary problem. And again, we're back to perspective here for just a moment. So in other words, when we can't get rid of the problem, we should instead look at our perspective of it because our perspective could be wrong. Perspective is critical in terms of how we choose to deal with the trials in our lives. And I often emphasize to my patients that it's not so much what happens to us, but it's how we respond to what happens to us that matters the most. And I just think that's worth repeating. It's not so much what happens to us, but it's how we respond to what happens to us that matters the most. So if our perspective is off and the way we're viewing something is skewed, the suffering and the trial will be made that much more difficult because we don't have a clear um, approach to handling it um, in terms of our response. We're only looking at how much we hurt versus how are we going to respond to how much we hurt. Another helpful thing to do when you're in the midst of a trial is to pray through one or more of the Psalms. And that's why I gave you several um, just a few minutes ago that are particularly helpful when going through trials. The Psalms are filled with petitions of people in pain. Um, Choose one that seems especially appropriate for you and turn it into a prayer. For example, Psalm 13, verse 3 through 6 says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have overcome him, lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So that's the verse. So if you turn that into a prayer, it might sound something like this. Turn your attention to me quickly, Lord, and respond to me. Help me to see what's going on through your eyes. Otherwise, I may feel hopeless. Those who despise me may gloat. I feel I have no support. My enemies would be happy if I fell apart. But Lord, I know you won't let me down because you love me. In my heart, I know that you have saved me and will deliver me now. I want to worship you because you've been good to me. So that's kind of a way of turning scripture and praying it back to God, which can be very valuable and healing um, when we're struggling. So you can pray through and write down several psalms this way, and hopefully that can even become maybe a lifelong habit. Praying God's word back to him is a very powerful way to reach his heart. I personally believe that when we pray scripture prayers, like what I've just given to you as an example, much happens on our behalf in the spiritual realms. So I frequently encourage patients to do this as well. Um, It can even be done written out in journaling form, for example. Um, Also, our pain has some power to serve towards healing others, as 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 states. What a wonderful God we have. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy, and the one who is so wonderful, he comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And he does this so that when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them that same help and and comfort that God has given us. And I referenced this before in a different translation that talks about um, comforting others with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So we can see from this passage that enduring hardships can make ministry authentic. So you're now able to connect with somebody on a heart level, not just on a head level. You know, it's easy, it's easy to intellectually understand somebody's issues um, and kind of uh, relate with them that way. But it's a whole other story when you can relate with them experientially from the heart and understand their issues from your heart, not just your mind. Um, so if you're driven to a particularly type, particular type of ministry, um, what kind of people might benefit from the wisdom that you've gained from your experiences? Oftentimes God will um, take a, you know, someone who's suffered and overcome something and use that as a platform to launch that individual into um, a ministry. And I'm not talking, when I say ministry, I don't mean some type of, you know, huge platform necessarily, but even just the the people in your life that you're closest to, or at other times he will use it um, to launch a platform to to help um, many others through what you yourself have have gone through. So he can give you a heart to help those that um, are struggling with the very thing that, that you have overcome or are in the process of overcoming. So you can use your pain and your hurts to help other people. And you can ask God to speak to your heart those people in your life who might need the personal experience and compassion that you have to offer. Remember, too, 
though that we might that though we may be disappointed with God, He is not disappointed with us when we can't see His goodness all the time. He knows our humanity. He knows that we all have feet of clay, and he knows how hard we're struck by the blows of life. In fact, he grieves with us. Psalm 103:11 through 14 reminds us that God's love for us is as deep as the sky and even stronger than an earthly father's love for his own children. God's love means that he hears us when we cry out, even when that cry contains anger, disappointment, and pain, and even when it's all aimed at God himself. And honestly speaking, when suffering submerges us, it's really the rare Christian who doesn't feel abandoned or discounted by God, at least temporarily. But it's okay to feel that way, let alone, um, and it's also okay to speak it out loud. Many people don't give themselves permission to feel that or to speak it to God, or they can't admit to themselves, much less to God himself, that they have thoughts like this. They think it's sinful to even have a thought like, wow, I feel abandoned by God, and that type of thing. But I really instruct people to process that with God, get it out, tell him all about it, tell him how you're feeling towards him. He knows it all anyway. He already knows. So there's no point in trying to keep it hidden from him. And if you look at David's example in the Psalms, David just let everything out and processed it with God, and he always wound up at a point of praise. So if you begin to to, um, tell God about your struggles and your suffering and how you're feeling about him in the midst of it, he invites that because he knows it's in your heart anyway. There's no shame in doing that as long as you aren't, Um, sitting in that place for months and months, he will use that to move you forward. He will use your own anger at him to move you forward and even draw you closer to him because once you begin to talk it through or uh, process it with the Lord, he'll draw you closer to himself and he will begin to challenge the way you're viewing the situation and he'll remind you of past times of his faithfulness and uh, the relationship will um, develop that way through pain also. As I mentioned, God wants our hearts. He's after our hearts, and he wants intimate relationship with us. Um, so there, when we do fail to trust him, he greatly desires to love, lovingly restore our faith in him. In Scripture, we have many examples of people who fail to trust God during times of crisis, including Moses, David, Job, and Habakkuk. So like a loving parent with a tearful child, God seeks to restore our faith, to wipe away our tears and calm our hearts if we give him that opportunity. He, I would say the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon you. He wants us to invite him to work in our lives. Um, As we close, I just want to leave you with a quote from a well-known preacher who has said the following. Pain humbles the proud, it softens the stubborn, it melts the hard. Silently and relentlessly, it wins battles deep within the lonely soul. The heart alone knows its own sorrow, and not another person can fully share in it. Pain operates alone. It needs no assistance. 
It communicates its own message, whether to statesman or servant, preacher or prodigal, mother or child. By staying, it refuses to be ignored. By hurting, it reduces its victim to depths of anguish. And it is at that anguishing point that the sufferer either submits and learns maturity and character or resists and becomes embittered. That's a powerful statement, and it talks about how pain can teach us how to respond. So if you're currently in the midst of suffering, I'll leave you with this question. Will you let it make you bitter or better? I hope that tonight's broadcast has served as an encouragement for you to allow suffering to make you better. And before we uh, fully close, I'd like to wrap us up in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for um, the opportunity, Lord, to deliver this message tonight. Lord God, all glory and honor and praise goes to you. I ask that you would minister to each one listening right now, if they're in the midst of a trial or a test or if they're suffering. Lord God, we just pray that um, they would just sense your presence, that they would just sense how close you are to them, how much you love them, how you can use this uh, for their good um, in their lives, Lord God, even though it may make no sense right now, Lord, I just pray that you would minister to hearts, um, that you would just bless and speak to each person individually um, that's listening uh, all over the, the globe this evening, Lord God, that, that you would just speak into their hearts what you want them to get from uh, what we have discussed, Lord. We know you've got something specific for each one listening, Lord, and we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for being a trustworthy God. We thank you for the, the comfort that your Holy Spirit brings to us when we are at places of suffering, Lord. And Help us to become more like you in the midst of it, Lord. Help us to allow trials to make us better and not become embittered by them. Lord, we just ask now that um, because of your grace, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would send your Holy Spirit to help and comfort each one of us, Lord, if we're going through a trial, Lord God, and, and just seeking answers and seeking you and your word, Lord. Um, just make your presence known, Lord, and uh, help your love, Lord, just let your love wash over each of us, Lord God, this evening, in particular those who are struggling, Lord. Just give them a new revelation of your love for them. And we just ask that uh, you would be glorified through this message and through this time. We ask all these things in your glorious and holy name. Amen. So I want to thank you so much for listening this evening. I hope you'll join me again in two weeks for my next broadcast. Um, if you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, which is my private practice, please feel free to call 414-254-9862. Or you can visit my website at www.healing-word.com. Thank you very much, and God's richest blessings be upon you.